Um, some of you would, most, some of you would remember this, some of you want, but I really felt like this is something the Lord impressed on me to share today. And the minister, and don't worry, next week I'll, I'll speak on something much more lighthearted. But uh, when we first started the church, not too long after we did, on one Sunday we came in and there was a banner hanging up. And unknown to me, my dad had made a banner for the church. And um, he also, in, in, in making this, had gone to our deer stand and had taken the front skirting off of my deer stand to make it. You know, so I had to get some more skirting for the deer stand there. But uh, Dad did this, and, and uh, I always thought it was great. I didn't realize it was going to be as prophetic as it was, you know, and uh, that it that really has so much truth. And so this says, nobody said it was going to be easy. And you have here the cross, and you have drops of blood, and that sort of thing. And uh, the unfortunate thing is, is that, in the body of Christ, I'm not sure that's always been communicated because I think in the body of Christ, it's like come to Jesus and you'll be wealthy and healthy and, and everything will go well and, and uh, no problems and, and difficulties or whatever else, and you'll prosper and everything's great. The Lord does want to bless us. He does want to help us. He does want to minister to us. But as someone once said, God's more concerned about you know, what he does in us you know, and, and he wants to develop us in, in many areas. So today's message that we're going to talk about is going through dry places, going through dry places. And Ronnie, I do have, still have a ring. I'm not sure how to get rid of that, but anyway. All right, I got a message here that if I really talked about everything that was in, us, in it would take us about four hours, and so we won't do that. Some of this will be kind of uh, one section we'll reference, but actually I'm going to do a message on it next week. And uh, other parts of this will be for your study and that sort of thing. And when we say going through dry places, we could also title this just as well, going through difficult places. You know, in other words, dry times or difficult places, difficult things. Um, I don't know about you, but even as a pastor, um, there are days that are great and weeks that are great and months that are great. And then there's times that it's the flip-flop of that. It's up and down. And it's not a matter of living below privilege. What we're going to see in Scripture today is that that many times the Lord allows things or or brings situations or circumstances to us that help us develop in our character and help us develop in ministry and help us develop in what God's called us to do in equipping us and training. So I wanted to start the message with a short little story. Um, Many years ago, um, and I think this is one that Kathy wasn't on, I I did a couple of tours uh, out of Oral Roberts University where we did... um, summer mission work, we went to various churches and we had singing, we had drama, we had preaching, and then we'd have ministry that we'd do and that sort of thing. And there was one particular place that we went to, it was one of the bigger, nicer congregations that we went to, and um, it was also the most difficult church that I'd ever been in. And um, it was the only church that um, when, when we went through and, and we did our, our songs, did our drama, and did the preaching, it's the only time we never had a single person respond, whereas in the other places it had been, you know, from 10, 15, 20, sometimes one place, almost 100 people responded. And so it was a difficult place, and it was one that, that I was just really, Lord, you know, I, you know the, the group sang well, the ministry went well. We actually were pretty good as a group today. We didn't fight on the way to this venue or anything, and, you know, all the things you try to think about. Why, you know, what is going on here? 
And at that particular church, after the service, this one teenage girl came up to me and started talking to me. And she was someone that had just come through and had gone inside the restroom and then came out, heard the music, and stayed. And she came up to me after service, and she said that, um, um, just started talking to me, and it was real obvious that she had never really been in church, around church, or any teachings. Uh, she was not a believer and had never been uh, brought into salvation or anything like that. So we just started talking. And, and then I had a, a real shock as I was talking to her because um, she said, I'd, I'd start talking about that the Lord loves her and that sort of thing. And she said, well, but, but the Lord, he, he doesn't know how bad I've been or the bad things I've done or this or that. And I said, well, well, what about, what about the Apostle Paul? And she's like, the Apostle who? What, what do you mean? And she'd never read the Bible, never, I mean, in America, this can happen. She'd never had a Bible, never seen a Bible or anything else. And so I, I very quickly had to change um, the way I was talking to her and bring it into a level of understanding that wasn't above her. But the long and short of it is, after a period of time of um, ministering to her, she accepted the Lord. And um, it, was, it, was, it was so, it was genuine, it was powerful. You could see just almost darkness to light that came upon her. And there were some other parts of that, but it was so, so good. Well, we were leaving as a group the next morning, and the next morning I got a phone call from her. And, um, and she said, she was upset, and I said, what's, what's happened? What's wrong? And she said, well, she said, I, I had a car wreck this morning. And I said, well, you're okay? She said, yeah. It says, your car okay? I said, well, it's not in real good shape. And she said, but I don't understand. I gave, I gave my heart to the Lord. Why would I have a car wreck today? You know, and it's, again, I'm thinking even someone that was outside the church had this mentality that everything's going to, you know, what, coming up roses. Everything's going to be great. Everything, you know, not going to have difficulties. And so I spent what time I had before we as a group had to go on to another location just talking to her about that the Lord does love her and the Lord does care for her. And she hadn't done anything wrong. You know, I, I don't know. She may have had... A, a driving mistake or something like that, but that this is part of life and that in that, that we can be bitter or we can be better and we can work through it. And so we prayed with her and, and, and then went on and of course haven't seen her since then. But I always remember that. You know, there, there's a phrase that sometimes that you hear or maybe sometimes you vocalize. Why does it have to be so hard? Have you ever, have you ever thought of that? Ever said there's something like a variation of that? Why is it so hard? You know, why, why do, why does everything have to be so hard? And then when things go well, it's just like, then all of a sudden it all falls apart and all of that. So there are times that we go through difficult places. There are times that we go through, through dry places. You know, I wrote in my introduction, says, we've probably all been in, are in, or will be in, and I'm not prophesying there, but we, we may be in dry places or difficult places at times. But we need to understand that God uses these and there's a purpose and scripture is just filled with it. We could spend literally two or three hours just doing a study on that. I wanted to look at some references here. First of all, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Matthew 4 and verse 1. We're going to do kind of an old-fashioned Bible study today. And um, so I'd like where you can to look up the passages as well. And we can just kind of talk to these and reference them and how they apply to us. Then I'll have other passages that I'll just have you note and that you can look at on your own at another time. All right, so Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus spends time in the desert. 
It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, in the Greek language there, the word for led literally means forcefully led. Or you could even say like pushed or, you know, kind of a coercion. It was like, this is God's will, and it was really strongly felt in this that, that not that Jesus wouldn't obey the Father, but the Lord spoke to him and sent him into the wilderness. And what was he sent there to do in the wilderness? To be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. He got hungry. And so when he didn't eat, and he's in the wilderness, and in the wilderness there were lions and, and, and scorpions and everything else, and, and he, was, he was literally there. But in that time, he was praying, and he was fasting. It was a time of preparation, and Scripture says he was hungry. And it says it was during this time that the tempter, and who was the tempter? We know it was, it was Satan. It was the devil came to tempt him in this time. And it says that if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And why do you say that? What happens if you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? What is the one thing that is on your mind all the time? Food. Ending <laughs> this eating. And so here Jesus, you know, under the father has 40 days of fasting, 40 days in the desert, you know, fasting day and night. And the enemy comes and he offers him what his soul desires. You know, there's a difference between our spirit man, our spirit woman. There's a difference between that and our soulish nature. And most of us are in trouble. Most of us have our difficulty in going through difficult places because we tend to camp more over in the soulish realm than we do in the realm of the spirit. Because the soulish realm is a realm of, of human understanding and human analysis and everything that's involved in that. And the spirit realm is the realm of the Holy Spirit the realm of God. So the devil comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And it's almost like a challenge to prove your Godhead, prove that you are a part of the Godhead, prove that you have the power to do this. But Jesus wasn't going to step into any of this. And he said, you know, just tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus was saying in this difficult time as he responded with what we might call a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, he responded and say, and almost to say, yes, I am physically hungry. But as, as, as hungry as my body is, my spirit hungers more for the presence of God. And that was what allowed him to walk through that difficult place in this, is that he didn't live by the, the physical bread or that, but he led and was was fed by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we can look through this whole thing in chapter, in verse number five, where the devil takes him to a city and has him, and, and he tempts him. He says, if you're the son of God, you know, throw yourself down. And he quotes a scripture. I don't know about you, but it was kind of alarming when I was a young Christian to realize that Satan not only knew the scripture, but he could quote the scripture. You know, and that just because you had scripture quoted, that it could be misused. And so here the devil quotes a scripture trying to lead Jesus into sin and disobedience to his father. And so there has to obviously be discernment. There has to be wisdom. There has to be in that. Because he tells him to jump because there's a scripture that talks about that commanding his angels, they'll lift you up in, in their hands so you'll not strike your foot against the stones. And he's saying, if you jump off of here, you can show your glory and prove your glory and show yourself to the people because um, scripture says the angels will catch you. And again, it was appealing to that soulish realm. It was appealing to 
trying to do something spectacular instead of following the simple and the simplistic um, command of the Lord in that, listening to every word that came from that. And so he tells him, do not um, put the Lord your God to the test. And all of these things that he gives him, you can just work through that whole chapter, that whole passage, as you see several times that Jesus is tested in that. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, this is just a reference I want to give you. I'm going to read just a little part of it, or tell you a part of it. But this is something that I think that ties directly into this passage that we have Jesus in Matthew 4.1. Because when Jesus goes into the desert, into the wilderness, and, and deals with, is confronted with Satan in that, he's attacked in, basically, if you go and you look through those, we don't have time to do it, but if you go and look through each of those temptations, those testings, each of those deals with a specific area that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the, gar- in the Garden of Eden, and then we also see this uh, in 1 John 2.16, we have pointed out to us literally three different areas that we're tested in, three different areas that we can, can rise or fall in. And I'll just write, you may have heard these before, but in 1 John 2.16, list them out there. But it's this, there's the lust of the flesh, there's the lust of the eyes, and then there's the pride of life. I'll say those again. There's the lust of the flesh, and that is, is when we're, we're being tempted or we're being led or we're being driven by what the flesh wants, what we the physically want, emotionally or anything caught up in that. And then the lust of the eyes that can come of where it's not just a, a food thing, but it's something in our eye that's catching our attention in that. And then the pride of life. And if you'll make that a little self-study and you look at those passages, you'll see that, that that's what was taking place. That when Jesus went, was led or driven by the Father into the wilderness, he was basically putting the axe to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that took place in the garden and that the enemy brought to tempt him in those same areas. So when he basically, through his actions and words, said, no, 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 He was putting the axe to that, and he was really releasing for us the potential that we could go through difficult places, even places that were like the wilderness, and in those places, God could give us the grace and the wisdom and the anointing and the strength to say no to sin and yes to the Lord in the direction of the Lord, even in difficult places. Going down verse um, number one under Matthew 4.1, I wrote this. God is weighing, or you could also have the word there, sifting, you know, weighing or sifting his church today. And I don't think it's just today. I think it's all the time. I think God is always weighing, you know, we, we are a body of Christ, but we're individually members of that body of Christ. And I think God is always weighing our hearts. He's always sifting our hearts. He's always looking to see what's there and how we respond or whether we react to certain situations and everything that's in there. But I think that that's something in the body of Christ today because I think that in too many places, and I'm not being critical of anyone, don't have anyone in mind, but in so many places today, we can become more focused upon and more wrapped up with the world and the things of the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We can even allow those to come into our hearts and our lives and into the body of Christ. You know, and, and I just think it's so important in the critical days that we live in, especially in the days even now where the church and the body of Christ, even from a national level, 
is coming under scrutiny in a way we've never seen before. And where there's outright lies being stated nationally about the body of Christ and what it is and what it isn't and things like that. Guys, we need to bring these things to heart. We need to understand these because without the grace of God, there could be some very difficult days ahead. And so I think that the Lord is t will teach us how we can go through difficult days, but we need to do it under the, the covering of the Holy Spirit, direction of the Holy Spirit. You see, God loves us too much to allow us to go through life undisciplined. You know, it's like sometimes you want to say, well, Lord, don't you have anybody else you need to clean up <laughs> besides me? It's like, no, no. But the truth is, is that it's out of God's love that he deals with us. Hebrews 12, 7, you can just write that down, talks about that when we go through difficulties and we go through uh, different areas, he said that God is treating us as children. He's treating us as children. Now, I think that most all of us in here were children at one time or another. Some of us may still be more childlike than others, and, and not the good way. But in going through children, that's a learning process. As children, it's a learning process. But hopefully, we as parents or our parents or grandparents or whatever else, and we all make mistakes, hopefully that's a process that, that has been beneficial and can help frame us and teach us to um, really hear from the Lord in that process. But so Hebrews 12, 7, as I said, we're being treated as sons, treated as his children. God loves us as his children. And so because of that, he doesn't want us to be um, caught outside of his love. He wants us to go through life so that we can, can, can learn to live a life under the discipline and presence of the Holy Spirit. Number three, this keeps us from being monsters, you know. And uh, when I wrote that, I wrote also to the side, because the church, unfortunately, is often full of mo monsters. That within the body of Christ, that there are those that are very hurtful, those that are very painful, and, and uh, those that, that are involved in things, and that, that a lot of times even what's thought of the body of Christ doesn't come from the mainstay of the body of Christ, but from fringes and other things like that. You know, don't need to mention any details on that. We need to understand God wants us to be those that are seeking after him. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. I want to go there. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. This is David. You like David, right? David never went through any difficulties, did he? He never got in trouble. He never did things he wasn't supposed to, did he? Let's see, there was that adultery, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, and then he also had, had one of his mighty warriors killed. And he got his mighty warrior's wife pregnant. And then he took her as, yeah. So even godly men. What was David known as? A man after God's own heart. So if a man after God's own heart who had that kind of anointing and that kind of power and that kind of favor with God, if he can fall off the cliff, as it were, and have tremendous consequences, then we need to guard our hearts. We need to be careful as well. And understand that sometimes when the Lord brings us through these, he's teaching us, preparing us to avoid what could come in, the, in that process. And so Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5, David is speaking here. It says, the Psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah, and Judah can, can mean many things, but oftentimes that's just like, can be like the, 
the desert, it's called the desert of Judah, being like the desert of praise. That in, that in the desert, even in dry places, in difficult places, those can be places of worship. Those can be places of, of drawing near to the presence of God. And we're in difficult places. That's what he's doing. And so David cries out and he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek for you. I thirst for you, for my whole being belongs, longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'll be fully satisfied with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And so he goes through this process that, that, that even in a dry place, even a place where it's a parched land and there's no water and, and there's maybe not the, the creature comforts that are even the, the necessities that he thinks that he needs, even in the midst of that, his focus isn't on all the things that are not working for him, all the things he doesn't have. His focus is on that he wants to be walking in righteousness and holiness with the Lord. That's where he chose to turn his focus, was away from the inadequacies, away from the difficulties, and instead to focus on the Lord and to be, again, brought into relationship with the Lord. We see that. We see that that the place that was the place of the wilderness became the place of praise in that. So David had come, had seen God visit his house. God desires to come dwell there. You know, there's a difference for us between a visitation of the Lord, and how many of you want us to, as a body of Christ to have a visitation of the Lord? Man, I do too. But if I'm going to be greedy, I'll say this. Lord, I want a visitation of the Lord followed by a habitation. You know, I don't, I don't want to just have... A one Sunday, and if you weren't here, you missed it, except what you can catch off of CDs or something. You know, I want to have the Lord not only come bring his presence into us in our homes and our families and our churches and cities and states and so forth, but I want us to enter into, and I want to enter into not only that, I want to enter into the habitation of the Lord, of where that, that's of the high value. That's the place that we want to go. That's the place that we want to spend our time. The truth is, and I wrote this down, is that we often settle for stale, old, leftover crumbs instead of feasting at God's table. And that's one of the things you read in the Psalms about David as he talked about feasting in the Lord, feasting in the Lord. And so many times through unworthiness we say things like, oh, if I could just have a crumb off the table, if I could, you know, we just, self-deprecating and all that comes in that. And we settle for so much less than what God has for us. God doesn't want us just to have old left, uh, leftovers or crumbs. He wants us to feast at his table. He wants us to embrace his presence. He wants us to walk in a lifestyle with him and to deal even in those areas that we go through that are difficult and dry places. God, uh, going on number two, God will empty you or, or empty us so that, we, uh, so that we have a desire to be filled. A lot of times the Lord allows us to go through places that are difficult, places that, that are unexpected, places that are stretching, because in the midst of that, in the midst of that, it brings us to a place that we have a desire to be filled. We're, we, we're hungry, we're thirsty, you know. It's not like if you've gone to an all-you-can-eat banquet place and eaten everything you can eat, and then you go home, what's happening? You know, it's, first of all, you need to, you re, we repent. 
But in the midst of that is like, it's what we actually were enjoying so much in comfort and the comfort of the food becomes too much because it's, it was out of balance in that. And so we see here um, just a listing of the Beatitudes. And so I want to read this little section and talk about it. But as I was preparing and working on this message, I really feel like the Lord spoke to me and said that he wanted me to do a message on the Beatitudes, or maybe more than one message. And so that's probably what we'll do next week. So I just wanted to read this here. When we're talking about God wants to give us a desire to be filled, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. And here were some of the things that I just pulled out from the Beatitudes. That is, the Lord wants us to be poor in spirit. In other words, and what he's talking about there is literally absolute bankruptcy. And we'll go through these in detail. In other words, that, the, that we're hungry for his presence, but we're hungry for all that he has and all the, the, the love that he has, all the, the um, availability that he has of his presence and anointing in there, poor in spirit. And then B, hungering and thirsting. You know, that we're so hungry and we're so thirsty and we're just like we read of David a while ago that he's just crying out for the presence of God and, 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 and the, to being in the place of God. You know, like it's a life or death desire that it's just, just so much there. You can just reference or write down for later study. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. You know, that, that, that we just see this here, that, that, that we're so hungry and we're so, so thirsting for the Lord. I'll, I'll just read that. Psalm 42 says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go? When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And he goes on from there and talks about some of the things that he did that caused his soul to be downcast. Again, our souls are kind of our mind, our will, and our emotions in that. And we just see David here remembering and panning and crying out to God, God, I want to drink from your, from your stream. I want, I want to, to participate in what, who you are and all that you are. And he realized that his sin and the wickedness that had come upon him had pulled him away. And he wanted to be back in that place, in that place with the Lord in the whole process. Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. I'll just add that there. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says this, finally, brothers and sisters, and, and really this is kind of a, a area for us to focus in, what the Lord wants us to focus on in, especially in difficult times. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about, or in some previous translations they said, let your mind dwell upon, or in this, meditate upon, think about, dwell upon these such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What an incredible thing that we have here that, that is written for us. They just said, oh, just do what I do and everything will be good. Well, uh, let me just say as a pastor, do not do as I do. Maybe do as I say sometimes, you know, but, but I'm not at a place that I could write something that says that if you just follow me, that you're, everything's going to be, you'll line up there. I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, you know, I'm past 60 and holding or whatever else in there, but, 
I, I know there's so much more to grow in. There's so much more to learn in in that process. And what, what this brings up as we're looking through this, as it ties to David, is, is that God does want us to, to go to those things that, that are worthy, that are honorable, that are um, areas that will help us grow in our, our walk and our development in the kingdom of God. So God takes away the appetites of the world to give you the appetites of God. We just read that. Not a place of banishment or punishment for just being bad. And sometimes we, we go through a difficult place, and it's like, remember how I started with a, with a young teenage gal? That she just thought that she must have done something wrong, that she had a car wreck the day after she was saved. And as a matter of fact, you know, I don't know if it's encouraged or not, I remember what I told her was, is that, you know, there's God, but there's also the enemy of God who wants to attack and destroy us, and that this, he knows what goes on as well, and that when this happened, he wanted to steal your joy, he wanted to steal your devotion to the Lord, and you just have to go past that. We just have to say, well, you had a wreck, but you're okay. You're physically okay. Cars can be repaired. Bodies are harder in that. And so that, that was kind of remembering now. That was the way that I ministered to her over the phone in that. So as we said, it's, uh, when the Lord brings the discipline, takes us to the desert, it's for being good, a place of blessing, because he loves us, can be a place of replenishment. You know, the, the pattern of Jesus that we see in the New Testament is he kind of goes in and out. He'll, he, he will often return to the desert places, just like he did initially, to be with his father. He would go up in the hills at night, and what would he do? He says he went up in the hills, and there were, so there were lions there and all these other things there, but he would go on the hills, and he would spend time with his father. He would spend time praying. He would spend time getting the agenda for the next day. You know, we're going to feed 5,000 tomorrow, or we're going to do this or do that, or whatever else was involved. He was constantly setting apart time to be with his father in his father's presence. And that's so, so important for us in, in this whole area. Because God wants to release his blessing, and he wants to bring his, his place of replenishment because he loves us so, so much. So Roman numeral number two, possible attacks in dry places. Or I wrote down, our wet places. Just kind of a bad pun there. Possible attacks in dry places. You know, that, that wherever we are, there, there are certain areas that I've listed as just some examples that we can recognize ahead of time if we have this kind of spiritual attack or, or something else that we can be ready to deal with and work our way through. We need to, one of the things that I wrote in my notes here as we go into that is that we need healing from our understanding of discipline by authority figures. Uh, I wrote, God is not insecure, moody, or vindictive. And one of the things we need to understand, and even doing a message like this, is sometimes our past, and sometimes, sometimes things we've experienced in the past, warp our understanding of God and what he's like. You know, that, that God, we need to come to the place to understand that if God leads us into a wilderness time, into a dark time, into a, what we talked about in Streams Ministry, a dark night of the soul that's in, in the Art of Hearing God class, that if we go in those difficult times, it's not out of punishment, but it's out of God's love to draw us closer to him and to teach us in that. Because we need to understand, and sometimes when we're dealing with other authority figures, God is not insecure, he's not moody, 
and he's not indictive. It's not like you, you do something and you call up heaven and say, God, and he says, oh, I'm having a bad day. Call me, call me later. You know, it's, it's not that. You know, there's, there's a levelness. There's, you know, Jesus had emotions. There were times that we see that, but we, we know that the Lord is not insecure. He's not moody. He's not vindictive in that. And that's often where we are. Oftentimes when we get upset or angry or something happens, an irritation with another person, a lot of times it's not even the other person. It's just that we've had something else that we're carrying inside of us that's been eating away and we're frustrated and maybe come back later and say, I don't know why, you know, that, that I just blew up like that. I'm so sorry. You know, keep short accounts in dealing with that. So possible attacks in dry places. First one, A, is doubt. First one is doubt. You know, remember Mark 4, 35 through 41? This was Jesus and his disciples. And uh, Jesus had been up in, with the hills praying with his father, and he comes back and, and, and there in the, in the boat, and he didn't have a boat, but he didn't need a boat because he just walked on the water. And there, remember, he's walking on the water to him, and it just, it's, um, and that scared him too. And it's interesting that sometimes the very solution, God's very provision, that he has for us may be so unusual or so unexpected or so out of our way of thinking that we literally think it's a bad thing rather than a good thing. Because when they saw Jesus, it was like, oh, no, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a monster. It, it, what is this? They were just, they were terrified. It's, and, you know, and, and I, I love it here. I've got here further my notes down. It says that God walks on what terrifies us. You know, that what we're terrified and the things that just tear us apart and hold us back, that's where the Lord specializes in in that. So, possible attacks, as we said, uh, Mark 4, 35 through 41, Jesus taught his disciples, you know, Jesus' disciples. It's interesting here because Jesus came in the boat and he was on the boat. The God of peace was on the boat. The peace of God was on the boat, but the peace of God wasn't in their hearts. And we can be a Christian, we can be a believer, we can be one that's walking with the Lord. But if our focus is on all the other stuff, instead of focusing upon the peace of God, we'll miss out on the provision God has for us. Okay. I'll hear that Jesus was and is there at rest. Never doubt in the dark what you learn in the light. You know, sometimes that the Lord will, will bring us to a situation and uh, he'll bring us through a place of teaching us and we just need to take those places to heart. We need to, to make that like a, like a stake that we drive down that will help us in our walk with the Lord. You know, as I said, the God of peace was on the boat. The peace of God wasn't in their hearts. We need to do that. We need to, to press into that and not doubt, you know, just because things are difficult that the Lord is there. B, a second possible attack in, in dry places is whispering and murmuring against God or your wife or husband or friends or next-door neighbor or whatever else. But, you know, another thing we get in trouble with is whispering and murmuring, right? We do that against God. Another way, probably a more current way of, of talking about that, is complaining. Now, most of us aren't so brazen that we just will, will you know, tear off into God complaining. At least, you know, I, we, we might do it inside our mind, but I don't, would never do it verbally <laughs> that because I fear God. But we need to understand there that, that whispering and murmuring against God and complaining is, um, is something that doesn't help us in the process. 
In Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, this was the children of Israel during the Exodus uh, in the desert. You know, they had cried out for 400 years. They cried out for 400 years. You know, get us out of here. Get us out of the slavery. Get us away from the taskmasters. Get us away from the Pharaoh and the Egyptians and everything else that was there. And they were in a very difficult place. They were in a demonic place. You know, I was thinking about this oh, in the last day or two. And, and um, I was thinking about it as I was reading through some of those passages. Did it ever have any concern or cross your mind that the sorcerers that were there could do a lot of the same miracles that the Lord was releasing? I mean, it hit a place, hit a wall where they couldn't. But I was like, wow. I didn't know the enemy had that much power, that, that much, you know. I, it was just something that struck me in the whole process. is because we know that when they went and there were all the plagues and everything that took place, and there came a point where they couldn't duplicate that. But in many of the areas, you had these, these sorcerers, these, these demonic sorcerers that could do many of the same things that the Lord used for Moses to do that. And so we, all I just said that is we need to understand Yes, we have the power of the Lord. We have the anointing of the Lord. But there's a lot of evil that's around. We need to be, understand that. That's so why we need to be walking and go, understanding. Going through the dry places can be a good thing that can help us in that process. Because the children of Israel, um, during the exodus in the desert, you know, even though they cried out, they were, they were complaining to God. They were always complaining. I wrote down here. They cried out for 400 years, but they didn't like God's deliverance method. And uh, that's where it comes to this. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. You know, it's that a lot of times we want God to do something for us, and we want him to do it the way we want it to be done. You know, and, our, and so when it comes, we miss his provision. We miss what he's saying to us. We miss his love note. We miss his, his gentle nudging or his correction or whatever else is in that. We miss out on that. Look at Job chapter 1. I want us to, to look at this one. Job 1. And look at a couple places in Job. We're going to talk about a message of going through difficult places. You've got to throw Job in there, right? And Kathy could speak on the end of Job really well because she's uh, heard her do that before. I have to have her do it sometime. But Job chapter 1. And first of all, verse 20 through 22. Says that, and of course you know the story that, that Job was a blameless man. He had these children. He had possessions. And, and everything was going great. And, um, and, and just incredibly blessed in every way. He was a righteous man. Honored God. And in the midst of that. Uh, and this is also another passage that kind of disturbs me. But in the midst of that. There was, there was a passage in verse number 6. It said there was a day where the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with him. And so you have this, sorry, Rodney, this powwow type situation. You have this thing where you've got angels that come and you have Satan slash demons that are there. All they're talking. And so in the midst of that, Satan offers a challenge of which my spirituality would immediately say, well, that's not going to happen. You know, greater, you know, that God wouldn't let, you know. Scott said, I don't have answers this book, but it, we need to understand that it's there. And so they, 
they come together, and the Lord and Satan, and the Lord says, where have you come from? He says, well, I've been roaming around the earth, going here and there, back and forth. And he said, well, have you considered my servant Job? Now, that, that was a badge of honor. You're talking about a badge of honor. I mean, that is a, that's better than an Eagle Scout, you know, or, or the Top Ranger. Whoa, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> top Ranger or anything else. That was an incredible thing, you know, for the Lord to say, have you considered Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright and fears God and shuns evil. Now, in my theology, that if I had gotten that as a prophecy or a word from God, I'd have said, things are going to be great now. No problems, no difficulties. And yet, if you've read this passage, that's not exactly the way it worked out. You know, a few weeks ago, or maybe even a little longer than that, we got a video that um, we played here and uh, told you about and transcripted some. But this is when I was over at Streams Ministries and John Paul Jackson and um, John Paul and I had spent 30 minutes together and then he went in to do some tapings that they, that they do and when he did he started off and he said oh, before I do this and he, he, he said I need to, to address something to Doug and he had a, a word about the tsunami of, his presence, of the presence of the Lord that was going to come to our church and that in the coming of that that Lord was go- it was going to take some time because the Lord had to prepare leadership for that so it wouldn't be washed away and so we, so we did that, and so we're rejoicing that. And I, I mean, I even had John Thomas call me and say, did, was that word, the word, was this word the word that you got? And he said, I said, yeah. And he said, that's an awesome word. He was just like, wow. You know, everybody's like, wow. But you know what has happened since those, that time? It's, it's not, everything hasn't been rosy and easy. There, there have been situations that were downright tough. And I was like, Lord, was that a wrong word? No. But the word, I believe, is right, but the Lord has really spoken to me about that, it's, that I do need in my own life and in Kathy's life and in the life of some others in the church. We do need to really pour into leadership and pour in preparation because I believe God gave us a promise of what he wanted to do, but that in my mind it was going to be, okay, yeah, it's going to take a while, a week or two anyway, and then the presence of the Lord will come, and then we'll have to go to an audit, you know, Coliseum somewhere it's really easy for us to take something and run with it in ways it was never intended. And so here you have um, Job, and, and, and Satan gives him this. He said, the Lord says, there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless. And so Satan says, well, does he fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and everything he has? You've blessed his work and his hands, his flocks, his herds, and, and everything in the land. He said, but if you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to your face. And, of course, the Lord said, well, I'm not going to do that. Is that what the Lord said? He said, the Lord said, Satan, farewell then. He said, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And I said, that is, that's very difficult for me. Because it wasn't just that, that someone broke a foot or an ankle or had a problem. His children were killed. His resources were killed. Everything. The only one that wasn't killed was his wife. And he probably wished she had been because she gave him grief the whole time. 
just like mine would have or yours would have or whatever. I mean, because they thought this was his fault. It must have been his fault. And I mean, can you just imagine the whole process? And so let me, let's just look at a couple of passages here. Just so, so good. Um, first of all, let's look, let's skip over Job 36, 16. This is really the only one we need to do because we're running out of time. So 36, 16. Of course, this was during the time of where he was under affliction and he had his buddies slash buddies there. They're trying to help him and, and weren't helping him but were actually accusing him more and everything else and everything. But there was one guy that spoke something to him that I think is one of the most powerful prophetic words that any of us can get. And I felt like the Lord is saying this word to us today as a body and as individuals. So this is in 36, 16. And just imagine that this is the Lord speaking to you. This is a prophetic word from the Lord to you from VCS report, VCS report as well. He, that is the Lord, is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. Now that's a good promise. That's a promise of the Lord. And, and that promise was, was given by an individual that was minister, trying to minister to him, saying, oh, I know you're going to call this, and all the other guys were telling him all the reasons he was going through this, and all he had to do was this, that, or the other, and he'd be free. But this was a prophetic word that I think goes down through the centuries. God is wooing us. If you're in a place of distress, of difficulty, of dryness, or of hardship, that in those places, God is wooing you to come to him. And in those places, in the jaws of stress, he's going to bring spacious place free from restriction. The comfort of your table laden with choice food. And that's just something we have to, to, to decide. You know, Job initially responded well, but as time went on, his friends went on, he changed his tune. And he had to work his way through that. All right, and we'll wrap up here real quick. C, another possible attack in dry places in addition to doubt and complaining is anxiety. Anxiety. You know, sometimes it doesn't even take a, an attack. You know, sometimes anxiety just can, it is an attack. It comes in, we talk about anxiety attacks or different things, fear that comes and anxiousness that comes or just, you know, what if this happens or what if this happens or what if this doesn't happen? Or, do you understand what I'm saying? Any, anybody been there doing that? Okay, yep. That's something that happens. And, and I wrote here, and you can read this passage in Psalm 6 and 13, that anxiety can become a normal state in the desert. When we're in dry places, those places can be difficult, and in the midst of that, we can get anxious. But when Jesus is taken into the desert, he doesn't get anxious because in a dry place, he still seeks the face of his Father. And because of that, that dry place became a place of replenishment and anointing and preparation that took him all the way to the cross and all the ministry that he had to do. And that's something that, that we can understand. So anxiety can be a normal state. Another normal state and possible attacks in dry places is falling into sin and, de and to deception. You know, sometimes we can be doing really good, and then we can let things like bitter roots or we get, we get bitter, we get angry, and, and, and we allow that to just kind of work its way inward and, and, and in that. And we have to deal with that. 
You know, doubt and complaining, anxiety, falling into sin and deception. All those things come. Hebrews 12.1, you can see all these, these references there for us. But God has a plan for us. First of all, under his sovereignty, you know, that, that we do have the normal Christian life. But you know what the normal Christian life was? Is that we, saw, we see this with, um, with Jesus. Wow, it's the winds of the Spirit. <laughs> we see this with Jesus, and we see this with uh, John the Baptist. That John the Baptist started the ministry, prepared the ministry, was the most important prophet coming up to Jesus that we've ever had. And in the midst of that and, and doing that, there came a time where when Jesus came on the scene, more people started leaving, even some of the disciples of John left, and they all went to Jesus. You know, it was like people leaving one church to go to another church or something like that. And when that took place, they're like, people were offended. They're like, well, well, John, you're the one that had the, you know, John was a great prophet. How many, how many revelations did he have that we know of? One. But it was a doozy. He had the revelation that Jesus was the Son of God, which was more than any prophetic message that's ever been. He had that. But when, now as people start going and his disciples are upset, and they're upset and saying, everybody's going over there. Then he said this. He said, I must decrease. Speaking of his own ministry, and he did, all the way to prison and then execution. But he says, Jesus must increase. See, we get so focused in, in this prosperity gospel and so many else. We get so focused on what it's going to do for us, not realizing it's all about increasing Jesus in us. And it's about hearing him, proclaiming what he has for us in that, dealing with that, dealing with what was there. You know, the truth is Jesus didn't hop off the cross. I mean, before the cross, there was agony, and he cried out, and he cried out on the cross, but he stayed the course. And at any moment, he could have, as the old song said, he could have cried out, you know, and 10,000 angels. Well, from what little I know of angels, and I think I've seen little glimpses here and there, but nothing from, from people that I've understood that have had encounters with them, it's one of those things you're not sure you're going to live through. But in, in, in this whole thing of... of of angels, the presence of God, and, and, and all that's in that, we need to understand that God wants to draw us to him, to his presence, to his anointing, to, to who he is in that. He, and he brings these tests. He brings these test our attitudes at inconvenient times. You know, there's, there's pop quizzes. Some of you ever had pop quizzes when you're in school? Did you love pop quizzes? No. I wanted, to, I wanted to scream, time out, not fair, you know, not fair at all. Let me ask you this. Have any of you ever had dreams about taking a test that you weren't prepared for? Yeah. Well, actually they're not. Actually they're good dreams. Because the Lord is trying, is giving you an opportunity, and, and it doesn't have to be in the content of the dream. But the Lord will bring those dreams to us, and it's usually saying there's something the Lord wants to do, and usually it's in the area of promotion. And that, that what the Lord is trying to do there is bring us to the place that in some area where we failed to test with the Lord before, that he's given us the, the ability to do, take it again, and in doing that, God will bring us to a new place. So that's a good thing. That's a really good thing that, that many, many people have had. But I know it's a terrorizing thing because I've had a dream where I've gone to sleep and I've woken up and it's like, 
Oh, no, it's, it's final exam. I forgot to study. What am I going to do now? You know? But I didn't know this from streams about what it was, so I was just upset at that. All right, let's wrap it up. You can read the story of Martha and Mary again of where the difference of focus in there, what it amounted to. And then we have the, have the list here of why the desert. And you can read these passages. The desert's a place of testing, can be a place of growth, um, can be a place of rest, it can be a place of restoration, can be a place of release, can be a place of preparation. And our attitude in dry places is God, Ecclesiastes 7, 13 through 14. God makes the good in the bad times. And then Philippians 4, that's, like I said, it's a message to itself, rejoicing, thanking, dwelling, and being content. Let's pray before we blow away. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you, Lord, that even in the times that we don't understand, that you are always looking out for the best for us. Lord Jesus, I just pray that in, in those difficult places, and if there's someone today that's here or in the voice of CD or, or, or something else, that, Lord, that even today if there's someone that's in a place of difficulty or in a dry place, that, Lord, you'll bring your wisdom, you'll bring your anointing, you'll bring your comfort. And, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would teach us how to respond in those difficult places and not to react out of the flesh, but to respond out of the Spirit, that, Lord, we could learn our lessons the first time and not have to go through the, the test over and over. Lord Jesus, I just pray for, for this congregation, and I pray that, that, Lord, you will bring your purposes for us as a congregation, that, Lord, you will bring what you desire for us, that you will bring the, the workers that are needed and the resources that are needed. Lord, more importantly, we want your presence. We want your anointing. So, Lord, I pray that you would just draw us into that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.